Hello and welcome to Ep 7 of Off The Block Swimming Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Cox. Thank you all very much for joining us once again. Great show lined up for you today as we tackle the highs and lows of competitive swimming. Here's some great stories of character testing situations, as well as discuss where Swimming Australia could make some improvements. All that and a lot more, so clear your schedule. Turn up your volume, because Ep 7... Starts now. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two 100s in the second in it. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Thorpe is starting to go away from him. Oh, he's blowing him away now. Thorpe's gone more than a metre on Vanderhoof and Penn. But the signature of all eyes is the great Phantom Butterfly, Susie O'Neill. He's coming back. Oh, he surely can't do it to him again. Chavish in the white hats. Phelps in the black hats. And Phelps has got it. I cannot believe he's done that. Thorpe to the front. Thorpe to the hall. Thorpe goes in. Joining us today on the show is a man who represented Australia at the 2015 World Champs in Kazan, earning himself a bronze medal as a part of the 4x200 metre freestyle relay alongside teammates Grant Hackett, Thomas Fraser-Holmes, Dan Smith, David McKeon and Cam McAvoy. It's a very big welcome to Off the Block Swimming Podcast to Mr. Kurt Herzog. How are you, mate? Yeah, good. Thanks, Roy. Thanks for having me. <coughs> Not a problem at all, mate. Now, I'm coming to you today from up in the studio, up here in beautiful, sunny Brisbane. Whereabouts have we caught you today? Oh, mate, you've caught me in a, on a rainy Sydney day. I've just come home from the gym doing some rehab on my shoulders. So, yeah, can have a chat. Really raining down there? Yeah, it's just, been, it's just stopped raining, actually. I don't want to make yeah, you jealous. Pretty cold. Actually, it's pretty beautiful <laughs> up here today. Sun's out. It's about 24, 25 degrees. Um, I, yeah, you can't beat winter up in Brisbane. It's the best. Yeah, I've heard, mate. <laughs> Thanks for rubbing it in. <laughs> mate, a lot of things to cover in our chat today. And obviously, as I said in the intro there, the 2015 World Champs experience being one of them. But before we go that far down the track... Let's go back to where it all began for you in the pool. What were your early, earliest sorry, experiences like in the pool when you were younger? Um, to be honest, just, um, just fun. Um, like growing up, you know, I, grew up, I, have, I had a twin brother. Um, so um, initially I got into swimming just because, you know, our parents um, wanted me and my brother um, to, to learn how to swim. So... Um, like any other parent in Australia. Um, so we sort of dove straight into it during the summer periods and, and from then on I just sort of fell in love with it. Like I uh, made some really close friends during my time at my first club at the, the Hills in yeah. Borkham Hills. Um, I had a great coach um, and great friends and I just, I just loved going to training, um, seeing my mates, racing my mates in training, mucking around, getting in trouble. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, no, for me it was just having fun. Like yeah. I just... Just really enjoyed um, going to training and, and just hanging around my mates. So you enjoyed more the social aspect of it rather than the competitive side at the beginning? Uh, yeah, yeah, you could say that because um, I never actually started competitive swimming until I was about 12. Um, and, and, you know, during those sort of years, um, you're st- sort of starting high school and you get a bit more competitive then. But 
Before then, yeah, it was just it's mainly just fun. Like I had a lot of close mates who I was familiar with, and I wanted to just go and, and and go to training and hang out with them and and race them in training, and I, I lived for that. So yeah, it was awesome. Now you just said there you started competing around the age of twelve. And I mean, it took a few years there for you to find your feet and gain some success. You've been quoted as saying, I wasn't any good when I was younger. Uh, it didn't make Australian age champs till I was about 16. And that was in the 400 freestyle and I came last. I mean, talk me through those years in between there. I mean, why do you think it took you a little bit longer to get that success? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not too sure looking back on it. Um, I think I was just, just a bit of a late bloomer. I look like when I was... When I was 12, I was all skin and bone. I really didn't have much muscle on me. And um, a lot of the boys that I was racing at the time were twice my size. And I, I didn't really go through puberty until um, really late in my high school years. So I think I was just a bit underdeveloped um, during my younger years. And I just, I just, yeah, I just wasn't as good. I think I started up in the lower squads and um, eventually found my way up to, to the higher squads. Um, yeah. But yeah, like you said, I didn't I didn't make national age until I was sixteen, and I always remember it because my aim was not to come last, and I came dead last. I'm <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, no, sorry, sorry, no. Correction, I came second last. Oh, my aim was not to come last, and I okay. came second last. Yeah, well, there you go. You yeah, misquoted yeah. yourself. That's how. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, no, I just yeah, um, I just sort of stuck with it during those years, I guess. Um, just because I was enjoying it, um, yeah. I I didn't really like I didn't really feel any pressure to make a national eight. Um, I just I just really enjoyed my swimming and and turning up and racing and and yeah doing just that. Yeah, it's a funny thing, isn't it? I always hear kids say about you know not wanting to come last, but just to put a positive spin on it because coaches always try and find the positives in ev- in everything. Um, if you yeah. came last, say out of twenty five, you are still in the top twenty five in Australia. So it's not really that a bad of a thing, is it, if you look back on it? No, no, and that's exactly how I looked on it back then. Um, I looked at, at qualifying for national age, such a prestigious, like, achievement. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot of people I was training with at the time were making national age, and, and I, I looked up to them in, tra- in training like they were, like, gods, like they were the best swimmers in Australia. So when I eventually made it, you know, I felt like I was one of the best swimmers in Australia um, for that reason. Like you said, only a very minute people actually make it. Mm. So um, for me at the time, I, I didn't feel at all like I was, I was um, underachieving, underachieving or or not as a good swimmer as anyone else. I, I felt ecstatic that I'd, I'd made it at the time. So. Now, for anyone who doesn't know, you mentioned it a little bit earlier there you have a twin brother, Luke. Uh, who was a very good swimmer as well in his own right. I mean, how competitive was it between you two growing up and, and even more into a senior level? Yeah, I mean, yeah, pretty competitive. Um, growing up as a twin, um, everyone sort of compares you all the time, you know, like who's the faster t- twin, who's the stronger twin, who's the smarter twin, who's the better-looking twin. Um, I think I take um, all the wins on all of those aspects. But no, um, so yeah, growing up, everyone compares you. So you sort of just developing a competitive nature just off, off that, really. Um, and um, so, yeah, we just sort of took that into our training. And Luke was actually much better than me when we were younger. Um, used to flog me all the time. So I was also always known as the slower twin. But um, eventually I sort of caught up um, and he sort of 
took some interest in some other areas, some other sports, and into his studies. Um, and I sort of just really kept at it. Mate, a lot of people out there uh, swimming now and from the past can relate to, to that story of being a late bloomer, but obviously it doesn't make that struggle along the way any easier. What kept you motivated to keep swimming and pursuing your goals through those sort of teenage years? Um, I think it just comes down to, to what I said before. You know, I was very fortunate to have really, really good coaches growing up through those years and and coaches that made the sport fun. Um, and I was, I was with teammates who were also really, really good teammates and really fun to hang out with, not just at, at swimming, but um, away from swimming as well. So, um, like, during those years, I, I never really um, thought about, you know, thinking about quitting swimming because I wasn't good at it. I just yeah. sort of kept turning up because I really enjoyed it. Um, and I sort of, you know, always thought to myself that, you know, if I'm, if I'm enjoying it, why, why stop? Um, and I found that even though, you know, I was, I wasn't that good, I was improving every single year. And, um, I think that was a big thing as well to keep me going, um, was the fact that I, I kept improving and it wasn't by massive margins, you know, like I had teammates who would take off 10 seconds every year and a, 400 freestyle or something like that but I was always that one guy who just took a couple of seconds off every year so but it yeah, kept spurring you on kept, those little improvements yeah 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 it kept motivating me kept kept um inspiring myself I guess to to keep working hard and um you know it made me think that if I wanted to get somewhere with it um I eventually would it just it was just going to take some time yeah Mate, you did eventually get there, as you say, and 2015 was a, a breakout year for you at age 23. I'm always very interested in successful programs and preparations, both physically and mentally. Uh, and in that year, 2015, you made the Australian team for world champs in Kazan, as I said earlier, uh, yeah. which means there were more than a few years between there um between obviously 16 and 23 where you were trying to make teams and for one reason or another we didn't quite get there talk to me about what yep. made that prep for 2015 Australian age champs so much better than the rest I mean why were you primed and ready that year to to make the step yeah I think it's got a lot to do with the um the change in, in squads I went through towards the end of 2013 so 2013, I was training at Cherubut Carlisle with a coach, um, Greg McGuerta. He's a very, very good coach, but I just felt like I sort of outgrown that program. It was a very age group dominant program at the time. Mm. Um, and I felt like I needed a bit of a change and to train with some older, older guys and just go, go to training every day and chase them down. So, um, I actually joined, uh, SOPAC during the end of 2013 and, um, with Brent Best, who, who was a very good coach, um, and, and guided me onto my first team in 2015. But I was also there with a the squad at the time. He was, you know, everyone was an Olympian bar me, basically. Um, yeah. so, you know, you had James Magnuson, Jaden Hadler, um, Jessica Ashwood, Daniel Traner, um, Daniel Arnema. And it was just such a competitive environment. I just froth that. Like, I really loved it. Like, chasing the boys and it was good banner, good atmosphere. And it sort of just um, really skipped me up another another few levels. And it's really, I think, what I needed mentally as well. You know, at Cherrybrook, I was training with a lot of younger kids. Um, and then I was racing older kids. Um, so, you know, training with the older kids sort of probably uh, made me a bit more confident. Mm. Um, 
and yeah, just just the training in general it was it was different. It was something new, and it just refreshed me. And and Brant's such a good coach; he just really took me um, to another level. So, did you yeah, learn what, that, what what new things did you learn from Brant in that new program? Um, a lot of new things that um, probably like I think the hardest thing any coach would tell you to teach me was just to con- control my first fifty over two hundred or <laughs> control the start of my racing. Yeah. I was always that kid, you know, I had so much energy and I would just, as soon as the gun went off, I was hell for leather for the, for the first 50. Um, and so Brent really taught me just how to control um, my first half of the race and, and really we worked so hard on our stroke rates at the time and stroke rates was, was such a foreign thing for me and um, but it, it worked so well for me because I was more, um, I'm more of a swimmer who, who works off feel rather than... Yep. Um, timing or pace, like timing pace. Yeah. So a lot of the times when I trained with Brent, we did fifties where we would he would just tell me my stroke rate. Um, if I didn't hit my stroke rate, then I had to do another one. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I wouldn't. I do a whole training session without even receiving a time. Um, and I think that really changed a lot for me because, um, you know, when you're racing, you're not, someone's not telling you your time the first fifty, uh, yeah. but you can sort of tell where your stroke rate's at. So I think that was a big game changer for me. Well, it definitely helped, mate. Obviously, as I said, that year you finished sixth in the 200 freestyle at those champs and you finished with a 147.77. Uh, you secured your spot on the team for the for the relay there. This was a moment, obviously, uh, 12 years in the making. I mean, what were your emotions like when you realised that you are finally going to get to wear the green and gold? Yeah, it was uh, obviously pretty ecstatic. Um, my first actual impressions are, I probably looked back at the clock and saw my time, and I think I went 147.4 the year before in 2014, and that was my PB. So as soon as I saw 147.7, I was like, oh, it's probably too slow. <laughs> um, and then I saw I saw the number next to my name, and it said it said six, and I was like, oh, I think I made it. <laughs> um, but um, at that time, you know, like I was pretty stoked, but when, when you're coming in six, it's always up to usually the selector's discretion regarding whether you get in or not um, on the relay. So, you know, I was half real stoked, but half like, oh, no, like, I've got to wait a couple more days to find out. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, luckily I got on. So, yeah, I was, I was super happy, obviously. Um, you know, being a dream for so long and being one of your biggest goals in, in life um, and to see it pay off was, it was an unreal experience. How long did you have to, f- to wait to find out, just for people who don't know the process? Uh, I think, looking back, so it's usually at the end of the meet. Yep. Um, and it might have been on the third last day, so probably two or three days. Um, but I think I got the pat on the back maybe two days after um, the head coach, Yako, came up and pat me on the back. He said, you're in. And I was like, you what? And he's like, you're in. <laughs> And, um, yeah, went up straight to mum and dad and, and told them and, yeah, celebrations. Very nice. It was pretty awesome. Now, not all first world champ preps go according to plan, as you were about to find out. Two weeks out from leaving for a staging camp in Doha, you injure your AC joint in your left shoulder and you're out for two weeks. I mean, what are you thinking at this point? I mean, obviously, this is your, your big chance and uh, two weeks out, you, you've done yourself a mischief. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty crazy, actually. Um, it was during a session one time, and I just sort of streamlined off the wall and got this real sharp pain in my shoulder, and 
Um, I got got out. I said, Brent, like my shoulder like is killing me. I don't know what I did. He's like, Oh, you'll be right, mate. Get some ice on it. <laughs> um, and for me, like I'd never been injured before that ever. Yeah. Um, so I was like, Yeah, it's take a couple of days. Like I'll be back in the water. Um, in no time, it'll, it'll be sweet. Um, I came back the next morning, couldn't move it. Came back a week later, couldn't move it. Saw a physio. Um, and he's like, oh, yeah, um, you've, you've inflamed your AC joint or something like that. He's like, well, rest it. Um, if it doesn't get better by the end of this week before you leave for Doha, um, which is where our staging camp was for a champ, yeah. um, he's like, um, we'll get a cortisone in it. Um, and it sort of made some good improvements a couple of days before we left. Um, for Doha and he sort of said oh look yeah we won't worry about it um, we'll just leave it um, and it, w- it was the best decision at the time I think because I mean I felt it really coming on and I was like yeah it's going to be sweet um, it was pretty annoying you know two weeks was quite a bit of time it felt like a lot of time especially when you're going to go and represent your country yeah. so um, I, was a, I was a little bit stressed out but um, my physio did a great job and David Pugh my physio over at Sports Sports Lab in Des Moines did a great job um, in helping me sort of get to as good as I could um, at that stage. Um, but then, yeah, unfortunately, um, when we actually got back into Doha, so when we went to Doha, um, it flared up again over the flight, and we were in Doha, I think, for 10 days, close to two weeks. Yep. Um, and during that time, I actually probably did no training again. I was in there doing kick and stuff, but absolutely no swimming. Um, so... That sort of freaked me out a bit more, and then um, eventually I got a cortisone in Doha the day we left for Kazan in Russia, um, just to try and settle it down a bit because I just couldn't rotate my arm without having severe pain in my joint. Um, so yeah, got the cortisone. Um, had to wait a couple of days for that to settle, and then yeah, off to Kazan. Yeah, mate. Look, between the Doha camp and you getting to. Kazan, it seems if it could go wrong for you, it did. Um, obviously, your shoulder being one of those things, but you are—you can't. I've had to, sorry, overcome other adversities when you even just got to Kazan. Do you want to run us through some of those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I remember the first day we got to Kazan, and um, might have been the first or second day. I can't really remember. And we're walking to the pool from the from the bus stop, and I was just drenched in sweat. I couldn't stop sweating. I felt so tired. Um, felt like you know, an woman uh, nasal was all my nose was blocked up, um, and I just just felt so under the weather. And um, sort of saw the sports doctor and said, like, what's wrong with me? I just feel absolutely dead. Um, and he, he sort of you know, went through his checks and he's like, oh, you've, you've got a fever, you've got a virus. Yeah. Um, and so um, what happens when, when, you're on a, or when you have a virus in the Australian some team environment, um, you have to go in isolation um, just to prevent anyone else going sick. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I was in my own room for four or five days um, during that time. I didn't come out much. I was just had the sweats at night. I, I was like struggling to breathe through my nose. It was it was pretty bad. Um, but I was on antibiotics, um, so I sort of started to come good um, within four to five days, which was awesome. Um, my shoulder was starting to feel good as well, um, so I was getting pretty happy. And then I remember going to the pool, and I was like, "Yep, this is it. Like I feel better. My shoulder feels good." Um, my um, nasaling and breathing and all that sort of stuff and, and my fever sort of feels like it's gone away. So 
I went for a swim in the competition pool. <laughs> and um, literally the, the first lap I went to swim in competition pools at World Championships are absolutely packed. Yeah. Um, it's it's just chaotic because you've got, you know, your, your people from the slower countries and, and then you've got your Michael Phelps. So everyone's overtaking everyone and it's just absolutely chaotic. And I jumped in and the first lap I did, um, I was sort of sticking to my side, but someone else overtaking on my side of the lane um, coming towards me. Um, he was wearing paddles and I, I didn't see him and I just got this massive whack on the front of my head. Um, and it's just um, sort of just uh, my goggles broke at the time. And he, I was like, what was that? Um, and he sort of looked at me and, and apologized. And I was like, oh, it's all good. It's all good. Put my goggles back together. Yep. Swam through the hundred, got to the end of the wall and um, uh, just had a little bit of a break. Like I was, my head was hurting a bit and, so I said, oh, like, just calm down. Like, this is the first time I've been able to swim for a long time. And, uh, and then I was starting to get some weird looks when I was just hanging on the lane rope. And I remember this guy um, was looking at me and he's, I don't, not too sure what country he was from, but he was looking at me and he's like, oh, your, your eyes are really bad. Um, you're going to, you, you have to get out, like, really bad. Yeah. So I touched my eyebrow. Um, it was bleeding. I was like, oh, that's probably just a little bit of a cut. Um, but then I got out and, and walked back to the, where the Australian team was set up, which was pretty far away, and my whole side of the face was covered in blood, and everyone was looking at me, and I was like, oh, this can't be good. <laughs> um, I saw the sports doctor, and he's like, yeah, you're going to need stitches. Um, so, yeah, went back to the hotel room, got five stitches in my eyebrow. Uh, so I was, I was pretty, you know, I was like, what's going on here? Like, this is the third thing that's happened for to me, everyone on the Australian team's like, get away from me, like, you're bad luck. <laughs> you're bad luck. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, like, got the stitches in and then had to wait another couple of days um, before I could get back in the water to prevent it getting infected. Um, and then eventually, eventually got back in the water and I had to sort of tuck my goggles under my stitches, um, which was a bit annoying because they leaked a fair bit. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, was, I was pretty nervous at that stage because I mean, that was you know my shoulder injury sort of happened six weeks before that that point, um, yeah. and I hadn't done much training at all. Like I was, I was getting pretty nervous. I can't remember the last pay session I had, um, and uh, you know I was about to go out there and and um, try and do a good job for the boys in the four by two. So yeah, I was getting pretty nervous and um, yeah, didn't really know what to expect. But luckily. Um, I got I got the the job, got the all clear to have a swim. I had to actually do a time trial. So Dennis Cottrell came up to me before and he's like, okay, like we need we need to see if you can swim. Like we have to go through a time trial event." Yeah. Um, and Dennis, because Dennis was the um, relay coach at the time for the four by two hundred first, I realized. So um, I just wanted to make sure that I could do the job for the boys. Um, so went through a time trial and I just had probably ten coffees that morning and. Just messed it out as hard as I could, <laughs> but tried to make it look as though I wasn't trying. Yeah, and um, he's like, "Yeah, it's not bad, mate. Not bad. We'll give you the all clear." Um, so yeah, got to swim. So I was stoked. How nervous were you going into that race, honestly? Yeah, um, look, I was, I was probably the most nervous when I was walking to the marshalling area, and probably in the marshalling area. Um, it was just the whole anticipation of it all, and. Um, you know, it was a pretty pretty intense environment in the marshalling area, which was quite small, and you got four dudes in there from each country, so it was absolutely packed. 
um, and just you know the the Russians slapping themselves, the Chinese spitting on the floor, like it was it was super intense and and nothing like I ever expected it to be. Spitting on the um, floor. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was, it was pretty crazy. So. Animals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't let that go past without saying something. <laughs> Spitting on the floor. Yeah. Animals. Oh, it's their own. Everyone has their own way of pumping themselves up, I guess. But... Oh, Spitting on the floor, that's, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I was sort of like freaking out a bit and I just sort of had to take myself aside and, and do some deep breathing and, and get the iPod in and um, sort of get in my zone a bit, um, block out all that all that sort of nonsense. Um, and then walking out, I was... I was Probably just changed a lot, I think, during that phase, walking from Marshall area behind the blocks. I sort of I got in my zone, um, and then, um, yeah, the race started. Um, Grant Hackett let it off. Um, I swam second. Yeah, I went second after Hackey. Um, so that was, that was an awesome experience, just that in itself. You know, I grew up seeing, seeing Grant Hackett, the Sydney 2000 Olympics, yeah. and and just shredding in the pool when you're younger and, and to swim with him at a, at a world championship event representing country was just, just surreal. Um, and not only him as well, the other boys in the team, um, Tom Fraser Holmes, Dave McKean, Daniel Smith, um, like it was, yeah, it was a really, really good experience. Yeah. You go 147.96 and after all that you've been through in the lead up, to that race, I mean, you must have been happy to come away with that time. I mean, obviously, we we know your time. Yeah. Your PB was one forty seven four. Did you say that you'd gone? But yeah, with all of that, um, yeah, hullabaloo in the yeah. lead up to, to that to that one swim, you must have been happy to still come away with that. Yeah, I was. Um, I think my goal after all that conundrums were was just to to go under that one forty eight barrier. I knew, you know, that was. It's going to be a good swim for me on the day. Um, I, you know, I wanted obviously to get more, but you've got to be realistic in those situations. And um, so yeah, I was, I was stoked with that time um, just to get under 148, um, just have some consistency because I hadn't swum many 147s before that. So I was like, if I can get another one on the board, I'll be stoked. Mate, talk to me about the team environment, though, and I guess it is a little bit hard because you were quarantined away for, for some of yeah. it. But, I mean, some of the experiences, did you get to meet athletes, uh, meet swimmers, sorry, that you hadn't met before? Did anyone sort of take you under their wing? Um, yeah, yeah, all of that sort of stuff. Um, I think, yeah, it's just a just a great experience, nevertheless. Um, like, just a really relaxed atmosphere and... Um, I don't, not necessarily anyone took me under their wing, but um, I felt like um, just being in the presence of you know legends like Grant Hackett and and uh, and other people who had been on the team for numerous years um, was enough just to be just so inspiring and, and motivating and and comforting to know that you guys were in the same team together rather than just racing each other um, the whole time, which you do throughout a domestic season. So you sort of just. Um, just sort of froth off each other the whole time you're there and everyone's enjoying each other's company and it's just a really relaxed um, atmosphere, very different to, to domestic racing here in Australia. It's, you know, you, you race for your club and you race for yourself, but when you're on the team, you race for Australia, so it's it's a very different feel. Yeah. And I've only done it once, so... <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, you say there was a different feel. Obviously, it was a big buzz. It was a big high. What was swimming like for you when you came back from Russia? Um, yeah, it was 
it was good. Um, it sort of um, really motivated me going into that next year for the Olympic Games. Um, I learned a lot um, racing in Russia, and then off the back of that, I actually went to a few World Cup meets as well. Um, and you just learn a lot about yourself and racing and what works for you, what doesn't. Um, and like you said before, trying to go through those uh, moments of adversity mm. um, teaches you a lot of lessons about racing and, and trying to step up when you've got nothing to go to. Um, so I was really looking forward to that season and seeing what I could achieve with that attitude. Um, and I had a pretty pretty good season in the lead-up to trials um, for the Olympics. I was consistent um, in all my meets at Queensland State, Victorian State and, and New South Wales State, like hitting solid 148. Yeah. Um, and my training was, was the best it ever had been. I was sort of carrying that shoulder injury during that year, but I had a few quarter zones to try and fix it. But um, it didn't really bother me too much. Um, it was sort of, you know, probably a little bit down on power, but looking back on it, but oh, it didn't really phase me too much at all. But, yeah, no, it was a good season. Unfortunately, um, yeah, I just didn't really come away with the result I wanted to in, in 2016. Yeah, you, you missed the uh the team by 0.03 um and mate so much goes yeah. into a preparation for an olympic trials and not just in that year that you come back but it's a it's a four-year prep especially for elite yeah. athletes who are who are eyeing off a spot on that team talk to me about the emotions of of missing the team by 0.03 yeah uh, i was pretty gutted um for a couple of weeks after obvious for obvious reasons but um yeah, it was it was super tough to take, but that's a sport, mate. It's so black and white. Um, you know, it's it's cutthroat, um, and and I guess that's the enjoyment that you get out of it when you pull it off. But when you don't, it's it's something. You know, it's, it sucks, and you just want to um, do something else. But no, it was it was part of it, and it took me a while to get over. Um, and especially during that time, just because. Basically, straight after that, I, a couple of weeks after that meet, I had my first shoulder surgery. So it was sort of like a weird point. Like I was like gutted and really motivated to get back into training and train super hard, but I couldn't because of my shoulder. So I was like, just like, what do I do? Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, no, it was you know a really big learning curve more than anything. Um, I felt like my preparation for that meet was I couldn't have done anything better in my preparation and. And I've trained ever fast, faster than I ever had been before. But I think just mentally, um, I just I just stuffed up in that final. Like I had such a good heat swim, I went to the semis, ranked second, and I started thinking a bit differently. And you know, I was thinking, oh, you know, I'm a chance of meddling here. Like, um, and it felt, felt like such a good swim. And then I had my semi, and it, and it was the complete opposite. And it just rattled me a bit, um, and I just struggled to to recover from that, and um, sort of just didn't back myself as much as I should have um, leading into that final, and I think that's what really got me. Um, but, yeah, you know, like I said, it's a learning curve. Um, it was a learning curve for me at the time, um, and it was unfortunately one of the hardest learning curves, uh, curves that I've had to learn. Yeah. Is that because so. it's an Olympic trials, mate, do you think? Is that just mentally for yeah. us people who, who wouldn't know? I mean, I, I was a very mediocre swimmer. I say that um, to anyone who asks how good I was. <laughs> I was very average. Um, so we wouldn't no, really understand the pressures. I mean, is an Olympic trials trying to gain a spot on the team? Is that a lot of pressure to try and handle? Uh, it is, um, and uh, I did a lot of work um, in the lead up to it with my psychologist at the time. We sort of had a psychologist that was working with the Serpac team, so 
just to mentally prepare ourselves for those situations. Um, but I don't, I don't think you can really prepare yourself until you experience it. And um, it's just so full on, you know, like an Olympic Games is the pinnacle of the sport. Um, you talk about it for years and you envision, envisage yourself at training um, for years making that team and representing your country at the Olympics. So, um, you know, when years and years of thoughts, processes have gone into that, to try and block it out is something else. So it's, it's, it felt like a lot of pressure. Um, I felt a lot, I know I felt a lot of pressure. Um, um, I think I did pretty well, but I think I could have done better. But yeah, yeah it is. It's, it's full on. It's in your face. Um, like I remember going out for the finals for the 23 cell and, Usually there would be a bit of chat, but there was absolutely none in the marshalling area. Yep. And that's so you sort of think, you know, this is it. This is uh, either the big my moment. life going this way or my life going this way. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Now, mate, you mentioned just there that obviously after trials you had your shoulder uh, surgery. There's been a lot of talk in sports these days about athlete welfare and the support athletes get while they're injured, etc. I mean, what support did Swimming Australia offer you over this time? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty good. Um, some parts of it were good. Um, like, I received an extenuating circumstances contract um, during that time because of my shoulder, the situation that it was in before competing in 2016. Um, so that was just to say, basically, that I hadn't, I couldn't compete at my best. Um, and that funding obviously helped with my surgeries um, going forward. Um, but, um, I mean, I've only been on the team for a year as well, so I can only comment really on what I've experienced for that year. But yeah. um, during that during that period as well, you know, it was, it was quite difficult because obviously I missed the Olympics, I had my surgery, but during that same time, um, my coach, Brent Best, actually lost his job as well. Um, so a lot of the, the guys in the, in the squad didn't really know what to do or where to go or and stuff like that. So there wasn't much direction, and it would have been nice just to hear, I think, from the top end of Australian, the Australian swim team, like the management and, and, the, and the head coach and stuff like that, just to maybe just be provided with some direction and maybe some just some moral support as well as to our options and where we can train. Because at the time, SAPAC was the only high-performance centre, and we had a lot of, um, a lot of people in our squad who, who were high-performance athletes. Um, so that was a little bit disappointing, um, but it was what it was. And unfortunately, some people moved on um, because they didn't know where to go. So, um, you know, looking back on it, something that they could have improved. Um, but, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. Hey, what are you doing with yourself at the moment? I know you've just finished uni. Yep, yeah. So I just finished uni last year. I did a um, Bachelor of Business majoring in sport management. Um, so... At the moment, but um, my priority is really just with my shoulders. Um, I started looking for, for a bit of work with my degree, but um, I sort of just don't want to rush things. I've, I've been, you know, in the wars with my shoulders now for a while. Um, after my first surgery, um, I actually had another surgery five months later um, on the same shoulder um, because um, I had some more implications and more problems wrong with it. So after my first surgery, I was in a sling for six weeks. I had another surgery five months later. I was in another sling for another few weeks. Um, got back into training, um, trained really well um, over 2017 leading to the Commonwealth Games. So actually, I was training with Tim Lane at the time over at Warringah Aquatic Centre. Yep. Um, and I started to train really well and 
went overseas to Italy, had a big training camp over there, raced at Steady Coley, produced some good times, um, got back, um, and then over the next couple of weeks, training back in Sydney in August of 2017, I tore my subscap um, tendon in my shoulder. Um, so I saw a physio, he's like, yep, yeah, you're out of the water for three months. Um, and you know, I was pretty gutted about that because, um, you know, obviously my motivation to come back was for Commonwealth Games and that sort of ruled that out. Yeah. Um, so that was pretty, pretty devastating. Um, so sort of got PRP injections for that one. It was four injections one month apart to help heal that tendon. Um, and then after that, five months after that, I've, um, now torn my supraspinatus tendon on the same shoulder. So, um, trying to rehab that at the moment and, and, um, get it all back together. My left shoulder's feeling good. The one I had double shoulder surgery on, it's just trying to get my right shoulder good now. And, and that's my main priority. I'm just sort of rehabbing as much as mm. I can, working, working casually as a lifeguard at the moment and just trying to heal my shoulders so I can make some decisions for myself. Yeah. A lot of shoulder injuries there, mate. Is that something you've got your head around as to how, how these are coming about or? Is it just unlucky yeah, or yeah. is it something you're doing? Uh, I think, yeah, I think it's more just unlucky. Um, the first the first shoulder surgery was to do with a bit of a technique issue in my stroke. Mm-hmm. So I was actually, because I breathed to my right all the time, I was um, hanging on my left and my, and my catch was super high in the water and I had a really late catch. So what I was doing was just jamming that shoulder. Um, so we had to make a, a technical issue in my stroke. Um, but it, once we made that um, change, it was all a bit too late, really. Yeah, and damage was the damage done. had been done. Yeah. So, and then the the events following um, the subscap tendon was just a bit of a freak incident. I don't even know how that happened. It happened over a week in training, and it just sort of progressively got worse to the to the point where I couldn't swim on it at all, and I had no internal rotation. So that was a, a bit annoying. And the same with the. Um, uh, supraspinatus tendon as well. Um, I'm not too sure if it was something I was doing in the gym. I'm not mm. too sure. I think as well, my right shoulder sort of had a bit of wear and tear just because I was using it for that whole year when my left shoulder had the surgeries as well. So sort of just uh, all happened at once and it was all pretty frustrating, but they're on the men now. So yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, we touched on just there the fact that you did sports management at uni. I mean, would you ever consider yep. working with Swimming Australia uh, in that department? And if you did, yeah. have you got any ideas of, of what you'd like to see implemented or to try and help the sport? Yeah, I think, well, I think there's a lot of things Swimming Australia can, can act upon and help improve the sport. Um, it's, I'm not saying it's in a position, it's in a bad place right now, but I, I do think it can improve and can get a lot better and especially in a place like New South Wales. And I heard a statistic the other day where there's only apparently 250 people swimming above the age of 21 in Australia competitively. Mm. Um, and that's nothing. And I think in New South Wales you'll find that that's pretty low compared to the other states. Um, and I just think, you know, for me, like, that just sounds absurd. Like, Sydney's the biggest city in our country um, and we've got one high-performance program and, and hardly anyone swimming above the age of 18. And you just think, like, what's going on there? Like, yeah. that doesn't sound right. Um, and I think Swimming Australia have really got to maybe look into 
um, just opening up another high-performance program or, or something like that or just trying to target New South Wales because there's so much potential there. There's so many kids that, that are just you know eager to, to kick on and keep swinging, but they've just got no programs to go to. Yeah. Um, and you just got to look at, for example, the Northern Beaches in Sydney. Tim Lane's the only coach there at the moment, um, and he's, his program's packed, and it's one indoor 50-metre pool. And he can only accept so many swimmers. And it's like, well, how many people swim on the northern beaches? You know, do nippers and all that sort of stuff. And, and we've got one program. Um, so, I'd, yeah, I'd be targeting that. Like, targeting closer to our beaches, um, trying to look at building up squads there and, and, and throwing some good coaches in there and, and guiding some coaches um, who are keen, some young coaches. Yeah. Um, and, and as well, look at our private schools. I think... Um, like I said before, with Tim Lane at Ringa, a lot of our centres in Sydney only have one pool, um, and that's why they struggle to run high performance centres in my eyes, just because you know high performance takes up a lot of space. Um, so I just think um, you know you've got to target the the private schools in Sydney. They're the ones that don't have public swimming and they aren't obligated to to share their lanes as much. So I think you know looking to the private schools have some affiliation from Swimming Australia point of view and and really I think that needs to be tapped into and explored because there's empty pools all around those private schools that aren't getting used that you can just run high-performance uh, programs and that will be well-funded as well. So that's something. Um, another thing I think, um, I think our athletes definitely need more exposure. Um, and the reason why I say that is because I've done plenty of clinics now in, in Sydney, um, just because there's not many swimmers in Sydney. Well, there is now. You've got, you got a few people coming up. But yeah. um, back when I was on the team, I think it was only me, uh, Matt Aboot and, and Maggie and Jake was sort of coming on the scene at the time. So I did a lot of these clinics. And one of the questions I always ask the kids at these clinics is who your favourite swimmer is. And not many of them could name anyone. You know, a couple of James Magnuson, a couple mm. Cameron McAvoy, but that was it. Um, and that was sort of really surprising. And, you know, I'd ask them, who's your favourite NRL player? And they'd tell me straight yeah, they away. they can tell you straight away, uh, of course. And all these kids were just so passionate about swimming. And I, I'm just thinking, like, if there's something wrong. Like, that's, there's something wrong there. Like, these kids love swimming, but they, they have no one to look up to because they don't know who they are. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, um, you know, that's, that's something that um, Swimming Australia really need to look at. And I think if you fix, like... Creating our athletes more exposure, I think, yeah. is, is one of the biggest things that they've got to do because if little kids know, you know, who have a model or, or someone to look up to that swims, they're going to keep swimming. And yeah. if people know, if like people outside of swimming know swimmers, they're going to come and watch a swimming race. Yeah. So if you, if you have more exposure for our athletes, um, then more, then you're going to get more bumps to seats. And I just think Swimming Australia really isn't evolving either. Mm-hmm. Um, in modern day sport, like you've had cricket who went through that through that period where um, there's a lot of discussion, and there still is discussion about Test cricket dying. Um, and then someone brought along the T Twenty Big Bash, and look how how good that's done. Well, even you cricket. look at the day night Test as well. There's a day night Test yeah, as well now. So. Exactly, and the NRL have the state of origin. Um, and I just think swimming hasn't changed in, in so long, and it's a traditional sport. I get that, but like. You, you need to change things up a bit and, and keep people interested and yeah. have different events and 
Because, like, you've got skateboarding and surfing coming into the Olympics now and, and kids are just fucking all over that. Like, mm-hmm. everyone's everyone's all for something new. So yeah. I think you've just got to maybe, you know, even if that means creating a new event, like, once a year at North Sydney Pool, like, a more a corporate-style event, um, and it's just a bit different. It goes against traditional methods of swimming, like maybe you have a mixed relay or they used to do skins events or something mm-hmm. like that. But have an, have an entertaining, um, have a DJ, like have a light show um, and call it, you know, something like Sydney International or something. Like we have our state championships like New South Wales, Queensland, Victoria, and they're just boring meets. Yeah. Like you, no one turns up and, and we've got the, the best swimmers in the world. That's what I don't understand about it. Like we've got Olympic champions and, and there's 10 people in the grandstand. Um, so... I just think that's something that really needs to change and and develop. Um, just yeah, get us some of those names out there, get more bunts to see, to get this promote the sport a bit more through social media, um, and yeah, develop corporate events. One thing I will say about just as far as getting exposure for athletes, I know swimming Queensland just because I'm up here definitely have a lot of athletes that go out and visit uh, different programs and stuff like that with Junior Dolphins. Um, yes. all these other sort of programs as well. So whether New South Wales do do that at the moment or not, I'm not sure. Um, I did yes. see somewhere as well that um, WA Swimming are doing that as well with uh, Holly Barrett and Blair Evans and a few of those girls yep. um, visiting programs. So, yeah, getting back to grassroots. Yep. As you said, yeah, giving the, the swimmers, um, you know, people to look up to is you know, getting them... Yep to them so they can hear their stories and say, oh, actually, that is that is me. That's I go through that right yeah. now. Yeah, I think those programs are a great idea. Um, I've done a lot of them in New South Wales now alongside of um, a few of the other boys like James Magnuson and a couple of SOPAC boys, and I think they're great. And even, you know, for someone like myself who hasn't got a, a massive calibre and a, a massive background on the Australian swim team, when I go there and I bring in my World Championship medal, you, you just see their faces light up. Yeah. Um, and then everyone starts to know who you are. Mm. Um, and it's, it's an amazing feeling for not just yourself, but, I mean, these kids, like, um, they love it. And I remember growing up and going to these talks and hearing Ian Thorpe and Jeff Hugel, and it, and it just spurs you on that much. It, you just go crazy. Um, and I think, you know, it's something that um, really needs to be pushed, um, not just in New South Wales, but around Australia. And I, I'd love to see, as well, like, swimming Australia become a lot more involved um, with the Indigenous. I yep. think that's super, super important. Um, and I, I know there's some pro- programs out there like Red Dust and Royal Life Serving and Oswim who do programs with the Indigenous. Um, but I think I feel like Swimming Australia are in such a good position to to really empower and, and inspire and, and promote um, Swimming in the Indigenous, especially because um, I saw a stat the other day that they're four times more likely to drown than the average than the other Australian or mm. the rest of Australia. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so you know, there's a there's a really big change that some new Australia can make there, a uh, positive change um, to the Indigenous Australians, just to empower, inspire, and promote um, good swimming and 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 learn to swim amongst Indigenous communities. I think you know, it's it's it'd be such a good change and just like a breath of fresh air and. Um, Imagine, you know, them seeing an Olympic champion in their community. Like, I just think that would do unreal things. And, um, yeah, I just think it's, it's a definitely, I don't, I'm not too sure if there's something out there that Swimming Australia do, but I haven't yeah. heard of it. So I'm yeah. just assuming that there hasn't. Um, but I think that's a massive error that, that should be 
um, looked at. Absolutely. Mate, like you, I am a New South Wales boy, and in recent years our state has struggled to put big numbers on Australian teams at a senior level. I mean, why do you think that is, and where do you think we can be better? I mean, we've just touched a little bit on it there, but thinking more obviously at a senior level. Yeah, I just think, you know, going back to those high-performance programs, like we've only got one high-performance program, and once you're above the age of 18, swimming becomes a pretty expensive sport, and especially if your parents start to kick you out of home and stuff, and yep. and living in Sydney isn't cheap as it is. Um, so, you know, when you train at a high-performance centre, you, you don't actually have to pay stuff like your pool entry and your lane space and, and all that sort of gets, um, uh, you know, taken care of. Yep. Um, so I think, you know, part of that issue is not having high-performance programs, um, but that's only a small issue. Um, you know, good coaches and, and guidance from Swimming Australia to to guide coaches and, and teach them how to build up programs from scratch, um, I think is another major topic that needs to be investigated. Mm-hmm. Um but we definitely we definitely have the potential. We we have the numbers. Absolutely. Like, just look at look at our population. I I think it is pretty atrocious that you know we can't produce um, people on the Australian swim team or more than five people on the Australian swim team. Looking back, I think we used to have half in the two thousand years or maybe mm. earlier, probably even more. But I, I don't know. To be honest, like there's a lot of things. Um, um, but I just think it starts. It starts with you know having guiding good coaches, um, bringing them up, teaching them how to how to run their squads and, and run different squads, and then trying to um, you know target pools that um, can accommodate for high performance squads. Um, I don't think we've done enough that enough, and I think there's empty pools in Sydney that just aren't being used that could be used. And that's um, the thing. To, I, I think like you, I. Um I know that there definitely are some some top quality coaches in New South Wales and I know that yep. there definitely are some really great facilities in New South Wales with obviously a lot of the numbers. So I guess you've got to start to think, is it um, more of a system error? Is there something not right there from, from the top down? Because, I mean, I find it hard to put um, some of the blame on some of the coaches and stuff that, that I know because I know how passionate yep. they are and I know how hard they work. Um, yeah. to, to get these results so somewhere along yeah. the line something isn't connecting and I just wonder sometimes when it's like that is it a system error rather than uh, a coach and yeah. athlete error yeah yeah no I, I agree like I mean a lot of the coaches who have coached me and a lot of the coaches I know like yourself and Clinton over the hills are very passionate coaches and, yeah. and very eager to learn um, I think the trouble is <clears throat> I just don't think the support that we get in New South Wales is probably as good as as queensland um and that's you know i i'm only saying that because that's what a lot of coaches are uh, are telling me you know um so i mean i think another reason as well like we could we could probably look at uh touching into the university system Mm -hmm. um to try and develop our swimmers as well and trying to promote um university scholarships for swimming and stuff like that um, because a lot of people go to university and they don't offer these scholarships, so they've got no reason to keep swimming, and I think that's a, a big issue that needs to be highlighted as well. But um, something like that, you know, that's a 10-year that's a 10-year um, plan. Like, plan. that'll take years. Yeah. Like, that'll take years to, to develop and, and sort of staple. Um, but, 
you know, I think there's a lot of little things that we could do between then and now to really spur on New South Wales swimming again. Um, because like you said, we've got the potential. We've just got to somehow keep our numbers and, and find the space. Absolutely. Uh, now, mate, Funky Trunks are a great sponsor of our show. And I know for a few years there, they were a sponsor of yours as well. You did a fair bit of catalogue work there with them, and my wife was a big yep. fan of yours. Um, how uh, how did you uh, enjoy your time with those guys? Yeah, it was really good. Um, Duncan is he's takes care of all the funky trunks. Bigness is a is a top bloke, um, and sort of it's actually really good at the time because it sort of increased my profile. Um, you know, me being a, a relay swimmer on the Australian swim team in 2015, I didn't have a massive profile, but when I started doing the funky trunk stuff, you know, I'd go around the clubs and everyone would be like, oh, you're the funky trunks man. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I sort of got known as a funky trunks man yeah. rather than, oh, like, guys, I swim as well, you know, like, <laughs> this is what I do. Um, so it was good for that in that regard, you know, getting some great exposure for them. And yeah. obviously the swimmer range, you know, is, is second to none. It's bright, it's colourful, it's pretty... It's pretty cool, and all the kids are looking to to get the latest swimmers and the coolest swimmers. So to be a part of that was was fun, and um, it was a great team that I was working with there. So if anyone um, you know wants to jump on board with Funky, give them a shout out. They're a great company. Definitely, definitely. I wasn't a huge fan of your work because um, my wife was, uh, after seeing that, was telling me to hit the gym more often, so it didn't really do well for me. Uh, <laughs> uh, mate, where are you at swimming-wise now? Um, yeah, I think, like I said before, just I think my goal at the moment is just to really work on my shoulders. Um, I'm rehabbing twice a day. Um, I'm doing a little bit of swimming here and there. I'm not at a club at the moment. I'm sort of just going down to my local pool at the hills and, and jumping in the, with the squads there every now and then to keep my fitness level up. Yep. And then when I can rotate my arms and, and have a feel more for the water and uh, clear my head a bit, I'll start looking at my options and uh, potentially maybe going back for, for Tokyo or, or possibly moving on. I've just it really, like mentally, I really want to get back into it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's physical, like it's whether my shoulders are going to let me get back into it, which yeah. is the biggest issue. So once I get my shoulders good, um, and they should come good in the next month or so, next couple of months, um, I'll start getting back into it. And I guess when I get back into it, I'll, I'll know whether I want to whether, whether I want to keep pushing forward or not with how my shoulders are feeling. So, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, well, mate, make sure you look after yourself. I don't want to hear any more shoulder yep. injuries. Um, yeah, no, mate, I think not. we'll wrap it up there. Firstly, thank you very much for coming on and speaking so honestly. It's it's really refreshing, and I think all of the listeners would agree with me and say that we definitely appreciate you uh, just speaking your mind. Um, good luck yep. with it all in the future there, and we look forward to yeah, uh, continuing following your story. Can't wait to see what happens next, but until then, yeah. thank you yeah. very much for coming on the show. No worries, mate. Thanks for having me. All good. As I mentioned last week, this show is proudly sponsored by Funky Trunks, one of the best brands in swimming you will find for training and racing togs, equipment, etc. Make sure you check out their latest ranges online at funkytrunks.com or follow them on Instagram for all the latest sales and updates. We'll be doing some exciting prize giveaways over the next few weeks, so make sure you stay tuned on our Off The Blocks Facebook and Instagram pages for how to win. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two 100s in the second in it. Gary Hall Jr.
extrovert and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Thorpe is starting to go away from him. Oh, he's blowing him away now. Thorpe's gone more than a metre on Van der Nurkens' hand. But the sinister of all eyes is the great Madame Butterfly, Susie O'Neill. He's coming back. Oh, he surely can't do it to him again. Chavis in the white hats, Phelps in the black hats, and Phelps has got it. I cannot believe he's done that. Thorpe to Thorpe. 